Okay, good morning, brethren. We uh, got to a place yesterday, I kind of feel like we need to go back and review just a little bit before we continue on with uh, the rest of this second chapter. And as we continue on, I know it seems like we're kind of, in a way, we're, we're kind of, we're, we're becoming kind of repetitious with the, uh, the message to Israel, or to Judah, excuse me. But again, imagine how Joel felt in his day. Yesterday we talked about this shofar that was to be blown. We had a picture of this, and we saw how important it was for them to be uh, ready and watching, and how uh, this watchman upon the wall of the city would see as uh, the invading army was coming. So this became a, uh, an important event here in, uh, in Judah. And we saw that this first blowing of the trumpet in verse 1 was in relation to this call for an alarm to war. And then we, uh, as we continue down, then we saw in verse 15, as we'll continue, where this was a call for a solemn assembly. So we have two different calls by this blowing of the trumpet, of the horn. <clears throat> we discussed yesterday the, uh, the semblance, resemblance of the uh, horsemen and the locust, and uh, there was a comment that uh, I think it was out of, uh, I think I used it out of the Companion Bible, and he said the symbol must not be confused with what is symbolized. So again here, it's not that they saw literal locusts coming through, but they saw these armies. And we saw the word cavaletti used in representing the cavalry. So we saw these armies coming through into the land, overwhelming the city. So that was another thing we, we needed to understand. Then we came to this point where we left off discussing um, the verse that, uh, that mentions... Um, I've lost my place here. In verse 10, the earth shall quake before them and the heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark and the stars shall withdraw their shining. We were at verse 10 when we stopped yesterday. And we see by studying this then that the earthquake, the sun and the moon and the stars all affecting their light is not only, not only a prophetical expression but a poetical one in this, in this regard as well as Joel's message was written as, as a poetical prophecy of what was to take place. An expression of prophecy used to symbolize the people of all nations of the earth. The political rulers, the heavens shaking, like presidents and kings, the sun and the moon all related uh, to these are all being affected as well. So these as referred to are not literal, but represented the present system of the age when we see this invasion taking place. The world all being changed in this great day of Yahweh. Remember, alas, alas, for the day of the Lord is at hand. So again, brethren, this is another insight for us into the times that are happening here. It's, it's not just speaking of the political rulers and things of Judah at that time. We're talking about an impact on the entire world and how it affects, affects all the nations that touch Israel uh, in, in this latter day invasion that we're talking about. Remember now, he's talking about the Lord's army, and it's interesting for us to consider a few verses in, re, in regards to this. We look at um, Jeremiah 27, where Nebuchadnezzar is called my servant. Working through him as he does other kings and rulers, the Lord also called the king of Persia, mine anointed, Cyrus, in, in Isaiah 45. The Almighty also working again through him to fulfill his purpose. We see Zechariah 9, 4 and 8. Alexander the Great was referred to in the same way as his tool to affect his will 
um, on, on, on Israel. And then again, the parable in, in Matthew 22 of the king's wedding for his son and all being decimated as another was invited to come into the, to the wedding. So we have these affecting this, uh, giving us this, this illustration of who the Lord uses as his mighty army. They've all been used to judge Israel and Judah. And those nations, one by one, have attacked and punished Israel until as the years have continued to roll by, the people have had to wait. And they waited until the day that we see mentioned here in, in Joel, the great day of the Lord. And we know, brethren, that this day is almost upon us. If ever Joel is speaking of a particular day, it's not so much as the day that Nebuchadnezzar invaded or the Medes and Persians, or the Romans, or even the Holocaust and Adolf Hitler. But we see it more, more appropriately relates to the day of the invasion of the great Gogian as he comes to the land. And this will be the final conflict as Gog is used, or Gog is used as Gog, God's army the, arm, the army of the Lord. We see in Ezekiel 38, I will put hooks into thy jaws and bring thee forth into the land, into the land, is brought back with a sword. So he will definitely be used. We can see many parallels of prophecy then. I'm just touching on a few as we go through. But we see in Jeremiah the time of trouble. Also Zechariah, the day of trumpets is mentioned. The day of salvation in Isaiah. The day of Yahweh, Zechariah. We see in Joel 2 the northern army relating to the one out of the north parts, Ezekiel 38. Joel mentions without number Ezekiel 38, of course, a great company. So we'll tie these all two, these these two together as we as we continue uh, through this lesson. We see that it was this time of trouble, and all of this in relating to this day of the Lord. Horses or horsemen are all characteristics of the prophecies coming to a climax on the day of the Lord. This great battle. When we see horses and horsemen in in uh, Scripture, when we're talking about this in prophecy. We know this is, is a battle. From the complete Jewish Bible, it says, For great is the day of Yahweh, fearsome, terrifying, and who can endure it? Who can endure it? And so as Joel continues, he answers the question of just who will endure it. Because of the repentance that takes place in the former times was not like the repentance that we see in the chapter before us. Now we see a more genuine, heartfelt, and complete, thorough repentance is needed on the part of Judah as God's people. A change so great, a change so great that it brings the stubborn and stiff-necked people to their knees in true lamentation as we continue. So we have in Joel 2, this last section, 12 through 17, he says, Therefore also now, therefore also now, see the, the language that he's using to drive home this point, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. And turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and it repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and drink offering unto the Lord your God? Remember we discussed how all this had been cut off from the people before. Now he says, blow this trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast and call a solemn a serious, heartfelt assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble them all together. Everyone, even to the bridegroom that will come out of his closet. 
or the chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests, the ministers, weep and howl between the porch and the altar. And let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Remember, isn't this the same thing that Moses had declared to the Almighty when he said, the other nations will say that you've brought them into the wilderness to destroy them. This is the same thing we see the priests mentioning here. The other nations will say, where is their God? But as we see the deliverance of Judah, the deliverance of Israel in the last day, in this great day, all will know where salvation and deliverance come from. And that is through the Almighty. As we see in Ezekiel, he says that I may be sanctified in the sight of all the heathen. So again, we have this passionate message as Joel, as we just read here in this last section of this chapter. And I'm saying last section because as we come up to verse 18, you'll notice then we see a change of, uh, of tone. Because in verse 18 now we see, then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. And I don't want to get too far ahead yet. But up to this point now, we've been, we've been kind of, uh, we've been very gloomy as we've, as we've seen this invasion. And as I mentioned to others yesterday, uh, it seems like we've kind of continued on with this vein of thought. And it, it begins to get somewhat uh, monotonous or burdensome. But as we see this, imagine Israel, or Judah that is, they felt the same way. And as this continued on then, all of a sudden, now we see this change that takes place. With certain specific events that were involved, now we see a refreshing enlightenment that takes place. An embracing on, 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 on the part of Yahweh. And what a refreshing event this is. So all of us, as we as we come to this point in the chapter, we'll do the same thing. Oh, wow, now we're finally done with that, and we're coming on to a much brighter prospect through, uh, through the rest of this prophecy. Well, let's go back now and just touch on a few of these things that I think are pretty important for us to, to examine in, in seeing this and understanding, as we said when we started the class, even though these messages, this message is, is somewhat gloomy and full of despair, and anguish and sorrow, we see that within this, we see the loving, kind, gracious, and uh, long-suffering character of the Almighty. He's pleading with them, and he's interested in their salvation. And it's a matter of importance and urgency that Judah must understand at that time. Now, he mentions there, therefore also now, rend your hearts and not your garments. Turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. We would have a a pretty long list if we went through all the scriptures. It probably wouldn't fit up here on one slide. Where Yahweh calls upon his people to turn unto the Lord. The first chapter of Zechariah is one that comes to mind. Turn unto the Lord, he says. And again, this is the same message, but he's trying to show to them that this wasn't something that was just an outward expression as it was in those days when they would tear their clothes. This was something that was supposed to be much more inward. Jeremiah and Hosea uh, and Joel all use this phrase as one of their key components in their message to Israel and Judah. Therefore, turn now to thy God, says Hosea. Keep mercy and judgment and wait on thy God continually. Ezekiel 18 and 30 says, Repent. Repent. 
and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions whereby ye have transgressed, and look at this, and make you a new heart and a new spirit, for why will ye die? He wants them to realize the error and confess and come back to them. The literal version says, Yet even now, saith the Lord, turn ye to me with all your heart. The utter transformation that had to take place. Yet even now. So these words show the special, special emphasis, then, that the dire destruction that was prophesied could, even now, as it says, be averted if only the people would wholly and completely and thoroughly turn to Yahweh. The urgent call to repentance was requiring a much deeper, though, a much deeper and complete, thorough transformation, as we said, than the conventional expressions of their day. Strong's number 7161 mentions this, this cutting off or cutting out, to tear out, to rend, as if enlarging, uh, no, let's see, revile, paint the eyes, as if enlarging them, cut out, to rend, to tear. The fasting, the weeping, the mourning, all generally accompanied by the rending of their garments was this outward show that we talked about. But these were all described in, a, in an almost superficial way compared to what we see here now. Now, now Yahweh would only accept real repentance that they knew, and they knew the difference. They had to understand the difference between this outward show. This wasn't to be an outward showing just to avert disaster either. It had to be. It had to be genuine. And surely the time will come when it will be. The time will come when we see Israel in a true, true repentant way. We know it will. And when we turn to the book of Zechariah, we can see this on several occasions. We can parallel the verses in Joel with Zechariah 12, 10-14. But let's first look at Jeremiah. I wanted us to compare this. And this is out of the complete Jewish Bible. In Jeremiah 29, 11-13, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. We see then there's this contingent, isn't, isn't it? It's contingent upon them seeking them, seeking him with all his heart. Well, look how it says in the complete Jewish Bible, the rendering there. For I know what plans I have for you, what plans I have in mind for you. They are his chosen people. They are the seed of Abraham. They have a special place in God's plan. He has plans for well-being and not for bad things. And so that you can have hope and a future. Again, we see that element of hope and long-suffering and kindness that Yahweh extends to them. But then he says, when you call to me and pray to me, I will listen to you, again, contingent, that provided you seek me wholeheartedly. So this was an important element for them to understand, to seek him wholeheartedly. Now we can compare other verses here, but let's look at Zechariah 12. And I've put this on the slide instead of us turning to him, just again, for the sake of time, you realize how we're, we're trying to cover this. But we see some of the same terminology, the words used here. Turn ye even to me with all your heart, he says here in Joel. Well, we see in Zechariah, 
it's mentioned that even the governors of Judah shall say in their heart as they find this heart of repentance. Again, it says in Joel, and with fasting and weeping and with mourning. Well, we can compare this again with Zechariah. There should be a great mourning in Jerusalem. And we'll talk a little more of this in just a moment. And it says, and, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. And of course, we see in Zechariah, those living in Jerusalem are my strength through Yahweh Zaviah, their God. So we see the comparison here fits, fits very well. And as we continue, he says, Who knoweth, like we read this morning, who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him? Well, we see in Zechariah, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. Again, the, the, the two come together. Sanctify a fast and call a solemn assembly. Well, we see the same thing in Zechariah. The land mourning, every family apart. All the families that remain, every family apart and their wives apart. All mentioned as coming together at this, uh, this solemn assembly. Now, as we see in Zechariah, there's probably much more that we could touch on, and we will as we continue. There's no doubt, though, in our mind that these two accounts are speaking of the same event. And it's interesting and important for us to keep in mind that Zechariah 12, 13, and 14, we're, we're pretty familiar with these chapters, aren't we? That each chapter isn't necessarily in chrono chronological order in succession, but that each speak of contemporary events with a, in more vivid detail as they go. And we see the same thing happening here in Joel. We can compare the two by saying, seeing this study in Joel, we see the first chapter was a warning and a call to repentance, like we've talked about. We see chapter 2 continues the call to repentance and a message of hope. And chapter 3, the desolation of Jerusalem and the glorious consummation that takes place when Yahweh's name is universally honored. And by this we see the term Eden is restored. Now again, brethren, compare this to a study in Zechariah in these last three chapters that we've talked about. We see Israel is to seek the good shepherd. This is what they were commended to do. Israel is to be cleansed and restored in the 13th chapter. And then, of course, in the 14th, after the battles that take place, Christ and the multitudinous, the multitudinous Christ stands there in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. We see the glorious consummation, Yahweh's name, universally honored and Eden restored. So the comparison is there. And it's very important for us to see the two. So just by reviewing it, we can see how closely related this is to the same event, the same day of the Lord that we're talking about. The other important thing in this to remember and just as we're studying this is to see now the reaction of Judah, of God's people, as this takes place. <clears throat> And as we see in, in Zechariah 12, it again says, In that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem. And this is at verse 11 of Zechariah 12. As the mourning of Hadid Rimmon in the valley of Megiddo. They were mourning for King Josiah at Hadid Rimmon. And remember we believe that Joel was written just after Josiah had passed off the scene in chapter 1. Zechariah 12, 13, and 14 in the record of events of the day of Yahweh. The phrase, in that day, of course, was written later on. And the word in that day, the term in that day, is used 16 times throughout this section. 
when we see the name of Yahweh is used 25 times, Jerusalem 22, and the nations 13. This specifically from these words we see is dealing with this end time that we see in Joel. And it's repeated many times throughout the prophecy. The same day as Joel chapter 2, the day when Judah will finally represent, uh, will finally change their heart, have a change of heart, sorry. And so all in all we see Israel or Judah repenting um, in verse 10. For I will pour out on the house of David and on those living in Jerusalem a spirit of grace and prayer. And they will look to me whom they pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. They will be in bitterness on his behalf like the bitterness of a firstborn. And this is from the complete Jewish Bible. So when we see this, brethren, what do we think of? Is there someone in the New Testament that we think of when we see they will look upon him whom they have pierced? Don't we think of Thomas as he stood there looking at Jesus? And as Christ said, Behold the the wounds in my hands. Isn't this the same thing we see in regard to Israel or Judah here? Let's compare this with the 13th of Zechariah. Verse 6, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thy hands? And he shall answer, Those of which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Isn't that Thomas? But here we see doubting Israel, don't we? They will now see and recognize just who their Messiah is. Let's consider a couple of paragraphs that... uh, that John Carter had, had written. He says, The morning and, the, and consequently the conversion of Israel only begins after they look upon him who they have pierced. Israel isn't converted by the morning or by the two-thirds destruction mentioned in the next chapter, but rather by the imprints of the wounds still visible on their Messiah, he says. It's the sight of the visible wound marks in his hands that converts the natural Jew. He continues by quoting Psalm 84.11. He says, The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. He says, He will reveal Himself in the sun of righteousness and be also a shield to His nation. This is a revelation which will be productive of of a spirit of grace or favor and a spirit of responsiveness to the goodness and graciousness of Yahweh Himself. The humbled state of the Jews when the guilt of rejecting the Messiah has been brought home to them, will make them fit for the gift of grace. And I thought that fit in exactly with what we're talking about here. Therefore, rend your hearts and not your garments. Turn unto the Lord, as he said. And this is what we see taking place. Chapter 2, verse 1 said, Blow the trumpet. And now, at this time, he's calling for it again in verse 15. Blow the trumpet. For a solemn assembly and gather these people together. This wasn't for war, but now we see the typical day of atonement, the day when they will be brought before the Lord. The day of Leviticus 25 and 7, as we read earlier, the real uh, day of forgiveness that we see executed upon Israel. Blow the trumpet and sanctify a fast and call a solemn assembly. These are strong words, expressions with great meaning for them, representing so much to them. Remember their worship included so much of this on a daily basis. 
And it should bring so many lessons to the minds and memories of Judah as they heard these words. Let's look at these verbs in the sentence structure for just a moment. Blow. Again, we talked about this earlier. Sanctify. Sanctify means to consecrate or dedicate or hallow. And call. Call seemed to be a real strong word here. To encounter, whether accidentally or in a hostile manner. To invite, to proclaim, or to call out. So what they've got to do with this is seen back in verse 13. To rend their hearts and not their garments. Again, the innermost sacrifice. Not of a lamb. Remember, all of this had been taken from them. And it was taken from them for a reason. So they would understand that they were the ones to be sacrificing. They were now to be sacrificing themselves. And remember the lesson that Paul left for us in the same regard as Paul in the letter to the Romans says to become living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, uh, holy and acceptable unto Yahweh, which was their reasonable service as well. The sacrifice is also described in Psalm 51:17, where it says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Also in Isaiah 66, 2, But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Is this where Israel is today? Of course not. All the prosperity and goodness that Israel has today, they feel they have brought upon themselves with their own strength and their own might. We know God is using them this time in a specific and particular way to bring all nations, to gather them around Jerusalem for this final conflict. They don't realize that God is their hope and their salvation. Right now, in a secular sense, they are there because... They are Israel. So again, he doesn't want this outward show. As Christ said, we can raise up even these stones as to the seed of Abraham. But he wants a true state of heart, a true believer, an inward change. A change within that's to be worked outwardly. And how did they get this? And as we read here, They look upon him whom they have pierced. This, along with the deliverance from the Gogian, is what changes their heart and brings about the proper attitude. And what else can we find? Where else can we find this description? Well, in looking through Ezekiel, we see a few other verses with the same tone. Ezekiel 11, 19. And I will give them, and I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh. Verse 20, that they may walk in my statutes and keep mine ordinances and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Another one we see, Ezekiel 36 and 26. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean, he says. From all your filthiness and from your idols will I cleanse you. We'll talk about those in just a moment. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put with you in you, and I will take away that stony heart of flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Again, look at some of the words here. 
I will. I will. I will, he says. He continues the expression, I will do this for you. Remember at the burning bush, I will be who I will be. And this is what Yahweh intends. These with a willing, repentant, forgiving, a heart of flesh, he will be manifest in whom he will be manifest. And remember we saw Joel, he who was manifest in power. The stony or stubborn heart is taken away and a heart of flesh, a caring, more genuine, repentant heart then is placed within them. Looking upon him, looking upon him whom they have pierced. This then introduces the bitter, heartfelt mourning as one would mourn for the loss of a firstborn. Imagine the despair. Imagine, brethren, the anguish as they look upon him. Think of how our Heavenly Father felt as they pierced, crucified his only begotten Son. Remember Jacob back in Genesis 37. As Reuben brought the coat of many colors that Joseph had worn, now drenched in blood, and he presented this to his father. The sorrow that was brought upon Jacob was almost unbearable for him. Almost unbearable. And now, Judah, the nation of Judah, Israel, as they come together, will feel the same pain and the same sorrow and seek forgiveness as they look upon him whom they have pierced. Back to Joel chapter 2 and verse 16, we see this describes a variety of people that will take part in this solemn assembly. Assemble the congregation, sanctify the congregation, and assemble the elders. Gather the children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. This, this includes just about everyone, doesn't it? When we consider who he's talking about. All must be there. Not just a few. Not those that are just orthodox. But all. All must be there. A national day of repentance. True and genuine. And here then we see the nation become single-minded and resolved. And everybody is now determined to serve the Lord. And so again we imagine the scene, don't we, brethren? The day of Yahweh. The Gogian has covered the land. The Gogian has covered the land and houses, just like the locusts imagine. imagine. The, the houses are rifled and the women ravished as the city goes into captivity. The time of Jacob's trouble. The Lord Jesus in multitudinous manifestation then stands upon the Mount of Olives as it splits in two, doesn't it? A huge earthquake quake takes place, fire and brimstone. And it's not long, however, before the Gogian is destroyed upon the mountains of Israel and the residue of the soldiers are driven back. Then, then, brethren, the Lord himself comes into the city. He walks among them and he leads this huge multitude, a great company of people with him. The redeemed, the redeemed as his multitude, come with him into the city. Brethren, 
this is us. This is us. Should we be so blessed to be present there with the Lord? And what about the third of those natural inhabitants of the land that remain alone, those that live through this great battle, those that have come through the refining fire? What will they say now? What will they do? They only need to look at the marks in his hands to know who he is. And if we go on to Zechariah, we see in chapter 12 exactly what they do, as we mentioned already. In that day there shall be a great mourning. The land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Levi apart, and their wives apart, Shimei apart, their wives apart, and all the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives apart. And as we study, another study that's interesting on your own is when you look through those names of who who they are and these people that are represented here, we see that it represents every aspect of the nation of Israel, from people who work uh, to the the priesthood to to everyone involved and how everyone would, uh, would mourn this great mourning. The same event that we see here in Joel 2, verse 16. A total and absolute repentance on the part of the people of Israel. Remember the time of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah 30, verse 7 through 11. Alas for the day. Remember that word? The way, the way it was written just in Joel. Alas for the day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee. Though I make a full end of all nations, whether I have scattered thee, Yet will I not make a full end of thee, but I will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. And so we see here the third that's left here as the Gogian is destroyed. The Jews and Gentiles will see this alike as we see in Isaiah 52. Depart ye, depart, go ye out from thence and touch no unclean thing, he says. Go ye out of the midst of her. And who's the her that he's talking about? that Babylonian influence, the world. He says, go out from her and be ye clean. For the Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all nations, and all the ends of the earth, that is the Gentiles, shall see the salvation of our God. So Jews and Gentiles alike will see it. But now as we, as we come to Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, here we see the words possibly of those Jews And what they will say as they look upon him whom they have pierced. Isaiah 53. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows Yet we did not esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes are we healed. All we, Israel, mankind as a whole, have gone astray, and we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Can we imagine those who look upon him saying those very words. 
Sure we can. Let's go back now to Joel. And here we see the residue of the nation has been left. And they're left there as a carcass ravaged by the Gogian. They're left as this carcass picked clean by ravenous birds, so to speak. And now the residue of the people become what's called true Israel. And we see this continuing on in the chapter. And we read in verse 17. Let the priests and the ministers of the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Here we see the priests, the representatives of the people, who should teach, now know. Now they know. And here they are, not leading the people astray, as in times past, but leading in right action and approaching the Almighty in true humbleness of heart. And it's interesting, as we switch gears now to this, to this priest, I want us to look into this just a, a little bit. We, we see now that, that it mentions the priests and the ministers were to weep here in verse 17, between the porch and between the altar. I think I have enough time to go through it. The altar is the altar of sacrifice. It's interesting for us to, to go back into the Old Testament now, into Chronicles, and see that the altar is the altar of sacrifice just in front of the porch, mentioned in Second Chronicles chapter 8, verse 12. And this was also the entrance into the temple in Second Chronicles 29, verse 7, and 1 Kings 6, it's mentioned. And there were two reasons why the priests should repent between the porch and the altar. First, this was the very place where idolatry was practiced in the time of Jehoiakim in Ezekiel 8, which we'll read in a minute. And so it was a fitting place for them to repent and to forsake this terrible wickedness that they had done. And secondly, on the porch, there were two huge pillars, two huge pillars. In 1 Kings 7, one is called Jachin and the other named Boaz. And we see the name Jachin means he shall establish And Boaz means strength or strong ones. And so their purpose was to declare that Yahweh will establish by his strong ones. Yahweh will establish by his strong ones. These two pillars in front. In Joel's day, Yahweh was reminding his people that the blessings will only be established through his mighty ones. Through his mighty ones. But for years prior, they ignored this. Instead of proper worship in the temple, we see they polluted it. They polluted it. Ezekiel 8. Go in and behold the wicked abominations that they do here. And so he went in and he saw and behold every form of creeping things and abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the walls round about. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about five and twenty men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, and they worshipped the sun toward the east. They had their backs to the Lord, brethren. Imagine, imagine how this made Yahweh feel. So, as we look into this a little bit deeper, Oh, I forgot my underlines here. I was trying to emphasize, behold at the door, 
And then at the altar, the 25 men and the temple of the Lord with their backs. We see that they were to weep here and weeping and to understand exactly what had taken place in the past and how they had left the true worship of their father, of their creator, the God of Israel. We see then, when we look into these, we see Baal. This represented the father, the father God, we might say, or the son worship that was involved in that day. The next one was Ishtar, the mother god or of fertility. This would be related to what we see as Ishtar or Easter in the days that we're more familiar with. And then Tammuz, the sun, the sun god or the one born at solstice in Babylon. The reincarnation, supposedly, of Nimrod himself. The worship of, of Tammuz also was the worship of the cross. The cross was instituted as a reminder of who Tammuz also was. The worship of Istar, fertility, and of God, uh, Baal, excuse me, the sun god of life, or the reborn, reborn um, the sun being reborn in December. So through this, then, we see the ancient, um, the ancient Babylonian trinity all brought back together. And even the elders, those who were supposed to be leading Israel in right worship, had turned their back on the living God, the God of Abraham. The people were taken into Babylon. They were, and when they came back into the land... They never went to this extent or this polytheistic way again. And Ezekiel prophesied in verse uh, chapter 9, he says, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men. And this is interesting for us to keep in mind. And we'll pick up more with this tomorrow. But the, the mark in their foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And he said unto them, Defile the house and fill the courts with the slain. Go ye forth. And they went forth and slew in the city. And it continues. They slew young and old, men and women, all that had anything to do with this worship of this ancient Babylonian trinity. But Israel hasn't gotten rid of all the problems and the influence of Babylon. When we see as time goes on, this is still present, very present with us in the world that we live in today. And there should be no doubt, brethren, that we draw a line and that there is no mixing or incorporation of this into our life. Because we see what happened to Israel, and we don't want this to happen to God's people, spiritual Israel. Even today we see this um, this, this influence, this worship of these three. The next part of the chapter will finish up and it, it talks about this last verse 18 and 19 about the good that's now bestowed in the land and the people. We see a, a, a pattern here, don't we, with the rest of the chapter going into chapter 3. Evil besto- uh, good bestowed, the land and people, evil removed, the enemy cut off. A specific structure to these last this last bit of the chapter that we'll get into tomorrow as we continue on. So we'll, we'll stop right there for today.